0: People want to be cared about right now. And I would say for small business owners, like that's your currency right now.
1: Welcome to the found podcast with Molly Knuth, a podcast for women who are founding and getting found with their businesses online. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and my mission is to help women rewrite how we live and work on our own terms. We want to grow families, impact others for the better, and be a positive force in our communities. But we also want to have a fulfilling life, you know? In the past six years, I've gone from being a stay at home mom to a freelance social media marketer to a hashtag boss babe, managing client needs, talented team members, and my husband and four kiddos on our little farm here in Eastern Iowa. And what I've learned in that time is that it's not just about going full force or any one size fits all strategy for a business owner. It takes you leaning into your unique gifts, intuition, and goals, and learning who you are as a person along the way to founding this business. So come along for lessons and stories from female founders growing and scaling their businesses through energetics, tried and true tactics, and high vibe personal growth. Be ready to get found. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to The Found Podcast. As we look towards the end of the year and consider where we're going to go in the year to come, 2023, I thought that this interview couldn't be more timely. Today, I sit down to interview Whitney Sullivan. Now, honestly, I hadn't known Whitney before I was connected to her via a mutual friend. Sheila Hansen, the shout out is to you. But as I browsed through her Instagram, clicked through to her website, I was immediately connected with her. Not only does she also love Ted Lasso, not only does she also call out a specific Brene Brown book in this interview that I'm like, not very many people quote that book, but I have it on my shelf. Not only is Whitney heartfelt, not only is she motivating, educated, so, so smart. She's a speaker, a coach, an Enneagram expert, a life coach, she's a nutritionist, she's worked in higher ed, and now she is her own boss as an independent entrepreneur. And I could not love this episode more. As we get into the interview today, you're going to identify with a lot of different parts of Whitney's story as she talks about beginning her business endeavor, not really planning to ever work for herself. We talk about the guilt. We talk about the fear, the doubt that can arise in that journey. And then we talk about transitioning into not just working for yourself, but leading a team and how that requires a completely different skill set. For those of us who are entrepreneurs and small business owners, especially, I know you're going to love today's episode just as much as I do. So, without further ado, let me introduce my new friend and fellow Ted Lasso superfan, Whitney Sullivan. Whitney, I'm as I already said in our like pre-recording part of this call, I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to be a, a super fan for the rest of this 45 <laughs> minutes, but. Thank you so much for being here.
0: I'm really excited to be here and like I was saying when we were getting ready to go this is my first ever podcast so I'm really excited and a little nervous at the same time.
1: You're going to be great and I told her listener I said I this is your first. I'm pretty much going to guarantee it won't be your last cuz just in prepping for the interview I'm like she's a wealth of knowledge and you're you're going to you're a gift to all of us who are listening. So thank you. For taking the time. But let's go ahead. Why don't you just like give your little introduction that maybe your elevator pitch, tell us who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Whitney Hinshaw Sullivan. I'm a motivational speaker and leadership coach based in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, I am originally from Nebraska. That's where I grew up. And I'm a two time alum of the University of Nebraska, Lincoln. Um, So go Huskers to anyone listening. Um and in my business I really have two sides and it's it's speaking and leadership coaching. So on the speaking side I tend to focus on connection and purpose and resilience. And then on the coaching side I focus on new leaders is something that I'm really passionate about and then general um leadership education as well. Um so I run a program for new leaders called 5 to thrive and that just helps Leaders that are new to managing people develop the five core skills that they need in order to really feel like they're thriving in their leadership practice. And it also just provides that kind of really on the ground support when, you know, it's just, it's a big thing to learn the first time that you're managing people. Um, And so it provides that on the ground support as well. Um, And then throughout all of that, I use the Enneagram a lot. I'm a certified Enneagram practitioner. um, So I can definitely nerd out about the Enneagram all day. Um, I think we're going to talk about it a little bit today. I'm a certified life coach. I have a background in health and wellness as well. Um, I've been teaching spin classes for 12 years now. And I also spent the first 10 years of my career in higher education. Um, So that's where kind of the passion of developing the next generation of leaders comes from. And that was my main focus when I was working in higher education before this point.
1: Oh, I just want to talk about all these things. <laughs> this is going to be so fun. I don't even know where to start. Yes, Enneagram. I can't wait to talk about that. Leadership. I know there are so many people who are listening here who maybe have their own businesses, they have small businesses already and they're either considering hiring for the first time or they are figuring out how to run this because it's a totally different ball game when it's you as a solopreneur or you operating a kind of solopreneur, a solopreneur structure, and then you have some like contract support versus like being that leader, casting the vision, like really bringing the team together. So I am so excited. And I know that this is going to be very relevant for all of our listeners. But first, I want to touch on what did that career path look like? Did you always know you wanted to be a speaker and a leadership coach? Is that something that came to be through your undergrad? Tell me a little bit more about your journey to where you are now with your career. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, You know, it's funny since I was young, I kind of had this like secret and I always called it a secret ambition. I had a secret ambition to be a motivational speaker. Like since I was little, like I don't, It was just always something that was there, you know, but no kindergartner and no college student raises their hand and says, I want to be a motivational speaker when I grow up. You know, that's that's,
1: very unique.
0: Yeah. You know, that's not something that is like on the list of careers that you choose from, you know, when you're in kindergarten or when you go to college and you need to pick a major, you know? And so I kind of just set that aside and, you know, focused my sights on finding a, a real ambition. Um, And, you know, it was hard. I think like I always knew that I loved developing people. I loved learning. I loved educating relationships and people fascinate me. And I just always knew that that was an area that I was really excited about. But I just didn't know what that looked like in context. I mean, I think I changed my major like three times in college. (laughs) You know, hey, I was
1: just- undecided for the first two years, because same thing. I'm like, I know what I'm interested in. Um, I don't exactly know how that comes together. But anyway, I can relate.
0: Yes, absolutely. And it just seemed like nothing was like quite fitting. But you know, eventually I was a junior and I needed to just pick one. Um, and so I landed on dietetics and nutrition. You know, the health and wellness space was was always a really good space to like deploy that really people-focused development um, piece. I played sports growing up and um, I got into like doing half marathons and that kind of stuff when I was in college. And so, you know, that really um, helped me develop like those beginning skills of of how do you motivate people? How do you develop people? And just being really people-focused. So that's why I ended up in the health and wellness space. But I would say like one of the biggest turning points for me was when I got into, I got an opportunity to be a graduate assistant for University of Nebraska campus rec. And I got the opportunity to work for the best mentor and the best leader I've ever had. And that really changed the game for me. And I really, it was, I told people that working in campus recreation and working in higher education, it was like walking through the doors into Narnia. I was like, oh my gosh, this is just it's this huge industry, but you just don't even really think about it. And higher ed and universities and campus recreation in in particular was really focused on student development, leadership development. And, you know, I I really felt like I found my place at that point. I'm like, this is Mm -hmm. what I want to do. Like, you know, and I do have skills in organizing and leading and, you know, all of that. And so it was a really good fit for a long time, but you know, The pandemic really changed a lot of things for a lot of people. I'm sure it did for you Mm -hmm. um, as well. And for your listeners, you know, that really changed a lot of things. So I was a graduate assistant for two years. And then I got a job in Bozeman, Montana, as a recreation coordinator at Montana State University. And so I worked there for seven, another seven years. And then in spring 2019, we had a catastrophic roof collapse of our gyms. And so the gym roofs, both of them, we have two of them just like just completely fell from major snow that we had gotten. So we went into like this crisis mode. um, And just when we got settled, the pandemic happened. And then once we got like resettled from the pandemic, we had to go through a lot of renovations and, you know, a lot of change. And, you know, I just burnt out, Molly, like you know, like burnout is like a really real thing. And my job changed a lot where I wasn't working with people anymore. You know, just the nature of my role because of the pandemic, because we were going through renovations, I wasn't training people, I wasn't mentoring students, I wasn't teaching, you know, I I wasn't doing the things that, you know, I really felt was my purpose to do. And, and I'll really say like, that's like, that's a real side effect of not working in your strengths every day. Like, That leads to burnout, for real. Like working in your strengths every day, working aligned with your purpose, is a really important part of mental health and thriving and approaching each day with a sense of energy and confidence. And so, you know, it was about an eighteen-month process for me to make a switch. My sister is a career; um, she she's a leadership coach as well, and she had a career and clarity class that I took and. I remember calling her one day when I kind of like hit that point where I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I had like taken, I, I took like a sticky note of what I wanted to talk to her about. And on the sticky note, I still had, I took a picture of it because it was just like such a foundational moment. And it was like uh fatigue high, morale low, discouraged, full of doubt. <laughs> and uh-huh. the only thing I knew at that point is that that's not what, how I wanted to feel about my career. That's not how I wanted to feel 40 hours a week you know, and that, that was that turning point that was like, okay, I need to make a change. And so 18 months later, after many other kind of key points that got me there, I resigned from um, higher education, October 1st in 2021. And now I've been about a year now um, in business. So it was quite a process. Yeah. And I, I think like the one thing I could share about like making a career change or making any major life change is that sometimes it looks like people are making these changes and they just happen overnight. But so many things happen behind the scenes before you see the results of those changes. Um, and so if any listeners are out there thinking about making a really big change to their business or to their careers, like, you know, be patient. I guess it's easier said than done. And that it is normal that it could take a year and a half, three years to make a really meaningful change.
1: I think that's a really great point to drive home. And for so many of us that maybe that, that calling just starts as this little bit of questioning or this little sense of discomfort. And for some of us, maybe that's like a gut feeling for some of us, it's that little voice in our head, but there's this this thing, and I love what you said. It was just this, this feeling of I can't keep doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would guarantee that everybody listening has probably had a moment, whether it's in regards to a career or in something else in their life or profession. But there's this moment where it just can't keep going on the way it is. And I mm-hmm. love your process of really allowing yourself to take time to go through all of the self-work that Mm -hmm. is required in order to make these really seismic Mm -hmm. shifts. And especially when your degree and your identity, and that might, I'm not meaning to put words in your mouth, but for some people listening, maybe their identity is really tied to what they're doing right now and the thing that they're being called away from. Mm -hmm. And you have just as much self work to do to reckon with that as you do work on the outside Mm -hmm. in whatever it is that you're changing.
0: No, that's such an incredible point. Because one thing, and I totally agree with the identity piece, because in the self work piece, because one thing that I told people, you know, part of that process of making a change is like grieving, you know, and it was a grieving process, because I really thought that my whole career, you know, I'm going to stay like higher ed is my place. Like I even thought I was going to get a doctorate in it at one point, you know, and I just I kind of had it in my mind, like, this is my career. This is what I'm doing you know, but that's a grieving process, you know, when you realize that something has changed and, you know, either you have changed or the world has changed and that self-work is really intense. Um, and it's probably like the deepest self-work I've ever done. And even as somebody who I love to read, I love to learn that was like, to make that shift was the, the deepest and hardest self-work I think I've done, um, to date for sure. So yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said about the self-work and the identity. And it's just a necessity in order to make a change at that scale.
1: Mm, For sure. And you can allow yourself to stay the same and stay in that discomfort, or you can be courageous to do that deep work and make the shift. So thank you for being open and sharing that part of your story with us. Absolutely. So, So the next stage of that, you talk to your sister, to get some clarity around the next step, how did you begin framing this new version of your career as self-employed motivational speaker and coach? How did that become?
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Sometimes, um, some of this was born out of just other constraints. You know, I think, uh, constraints are a good thing, I think, for creativity and figuring out what might be next for you. And so one, you know, I just, I knew that I couldn't do the job that I was in anymore. I knew I wanted to do something that put my passion and skills in service. You know, that's just, that's just something that I believe in is putting your passion and skills and service that leads to thriving, not just in leadership, but anything that you do. But some constraints were, you know, I was engaged and we were going to get married. um, And my husband's name is Tim. He's fabulous. Um, (laughs) And he had a great job that was in this area. And, you know, there's not that many universities in Montana. (laughs) You know, I, I like it, it wasn't like a matter of like, oh, we'll just go find a different university job, you know, because universities were kind of across the board experiencing the same things of how like jobs were changing and you know, there was like reductions in force in a lot of places. And so like, it really wasn't as simple as like, oh, yeah, I'll just go do something else. And so kind of coming down to being self-employed was in part out of, I don't know if the right word is necessity, like that was kind of like, one of the tangible options on the table. And then two is that like, I saw my sister do it. And that role modeling you know, is so big. And like when I work with new leaders, one of the first things that we do is identify your role models because and like making sure that you're building a support network that encourages you to be growing the direction that you want to grow. And so, you know, my sister's name is Kelly Thompson. She just published a book called Closing the Confidence Gap. So totally I'm just got I gotta like give her um a big kudos and a shout out there. But like really I think for the first time like you know, it's, that's my sibling. Like, I'm like, if she can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and she was, she had just resigned like a year. I think it was in 2019. She, I think it was 2019 that she resigned and she was speaking and coaching and like, and her and I are really close and and talk frequently on Mar- Marco Polo. And I think that role model of like, oh, I can do that. Like she can do it. Why can't I do it? And so that really made it like a tangible option. And I had never really considered. How you could take your skills and create something that worked for you rather than trying to like find that role and like reverse engineer it to work for you. Um, and I think that, you know, the a big kind of like not really exciting and not romantic part of it is that being self-employed was just kind of the main option. Um, I live in a smaller community in Montana, you know, I had applied for other jobs but really like if I wanted to make a change, one of the main options was to go out on my own. Um and just turn everything that I did you know in service of students and put it in service of a greater meaning of students. Like I kind of had to like shift my definition of what a student could be. A student didn't need to be an 18 to 24 year old. Like the skills that I was teaching them are skills that any adult learns, you know. It's mm-hmm. just that they happen to be Um, in my mentorship, you know, and something I'm passionate about, but all the skills are transferable and, you know, something that any adult would be worthy of of learning and really like self, like, let's talk about self-doubt, Molly. Oh, geez. Yes. um, (laughs) (laughs) Like talk about inner work and self-doubt and like, you know, really, That's like a big phase to get past when you think about being self-employed, and you know you're self-employed. I'm I'm sure, and again, not to put words in your mouth, I'm sure that that's like a constant thing to navigate. Like, do I really have something to offer? You know, but my mentors and my role models really taught me that like it's not about you know what people think about you; it's about what are your passions and your skills, and how are you putting them in service. And like, you know, the the people that need it will need it. You know. Um, And we kind of had to like remove that sense of like, oh, what if people don't like me? You know, Um, it's like, that's not what it's about. It's about showing up in your passions and your skills and using them in a way that can benefit other people. And if you just kind of keep showing up, like, can you trust that process? Basically, it's really vulnerable. Lots of self-doubt.
1: Oh, my gosh. I can hear myself in so many aspects of (laughs) your story. And I know listeners can too, because... I always tell new business owners too. And though we, you know, we're in different industries, the work we do is a little bit different. And the people listening out there, they probably have different industries as well. But the root of what you were talking about, about having that community, having a role model, that belief that if it's available to them, it's available to me too. And getting through the initial phase of getting this like, baby off the ground Mm -hmm. and quieting the self-doubt long enough to take the actions necessary to just put yourself out there. Those are the two big things I walk new business owners through too. And it's so, so crucial to be able to, when you have questions or you feel alone or you're like, nobody else can possibly understand what I'm doing right now, to Mm -hmm. have that person to look to and say, how did she do it? And not that you have to do it the same way, but just say, like you did, she did it this way. My clients that I had in the past were students at a certain level, but I know I can be innovative and adapt that and allow yourself to take that innovative step. That is what it takes to make that jump away from the staying small, wondering what people are going to say and judging to saying, I see her doing it. It's available to me too. I'm just going to be innovative in how I'm applying this. And I think those are two crucial foundational steps, regardless of your industry, regardless of small business or coaching or big business. Those are the foundations of that.
0: Absolutely. And like one thing I told people when they asked me, like, really, how did you, you know, how did you get from higher ed to being an entrepreneur? You know, it's not probably not the most common jump, and they're pretty, very different. Industries. And, you know, the one thing too, I told people, I'm like, well, I one thing I learned is not like a mystery to run a business. And there's like courses out there, <laughs> you know, so it can seem like this really like, um, I always thought entrepreneurship was like this mystical thing that, like, you know, only the blessed few like, could do. <laughs> you know, that they just had that, you know, and it, it's a kind of a fixed mindset, really. Um, and so one thing that can help make that jump, like, if someone's thinking about, like, should I go out on my own? You know, like there are things out there to help you. Like it's not just you're going to go out there and sink or swim. Like there's there's tools out there and people out there wanting to help you manage all of those vulnerabilities and grow through them as well. And so that's one thing that just really helped is is the role models, is that sense of purpose, but then also like the tools, like there's tools out there. There's people that want to help you, so.
1: And to bring it back to your your point about self-doubt, for a long time, I did hold that against myself as like, I'm not an entrepreneur. I've never taken a business class. Maybe I need to go back and like get a full-on business degree before I can do this thing. But in this current time that we're living in, for as many frustrations as we have about social media, the internet, things like that, we have equal number of gifts from this. And we can access like one-off courses to develop specific skill sets. We can access Other people who are professionals who can uplift us in the skills we don't have, we can connect with those community and find role models that live beyond where we currently are physically so we can learn from them and get guidance from them. And Mm -hmm. I love that point that you made about that, that there are tools out there to help you. You just need to be able to access those tools and find them.
0: Yep. So find, you know, find your role models, (laughs) align with your purpose and go, go get the tools like there's tools out there.
1: Oh, so good. Okay. So now to get into like some, some specifics. Okay. With leadership development, I know we could take this so many different ways, but what are some key factors that you see right now that leaders should be working on in developing themselves as they look ahead to 2023 and beyond?
0: Yeah, yeah, the biggest thing right now, like if I had, you know, a group of leaders sitting in front of me, you know, the, the biggest thing that I'd want them that I would tell them to focus on is support, like learning to have supportive conversations, showing up in a really clear, direct and supportive way. Because I mean, the last two years in the employee experience has kind of just felt like a never ending series of mountain climbs, right? (laughs) Like, like you get to the top of one mountain only to find that there's another mountain you need to climb. And that's been the employee experience. And all of the data is showing how disengaged and how burnt out and how isolated and, you know, essentially disconnected the employee, like employees are feeling. Um, and so burnout is just a very real thing. And that's just something that, you know, as a leader, you want to make sure you're doing everything you can to prevent. And it, also that disengagement. I mean, you want to keep your teams, you want to do what you can to motivate your team. So when we talk about employee engagement, we're essentially talking about how motivated your employees are. And are they showing up in, you know, every day with the sense that they want to go the extra mile, that they care about their work, that, They're connected to the people around them, they're connected to their role, um, and they're showing up in a way that is, you know, productive. And so research is showing that Gallup has found that 70% of employee engagement is based solely on the manager. And that is a huge thing to say. And so and that, actually, I believe that stat was even pre-pandemic. I'd have to double check. But also... A stat from Gallup's research on burnout, and this was in 2019. You know, employees are 70% less likely to be burnt out if they feel supported by their manager. And, like, again, like two really huge stats that the last two years, people are just burnt out. Like, it was the pandemic first, and then going into lockdown. And then, how do we do work on top of all of that? How do we navigate illness? How do we navigate caregiving? And especially women and minority groups really held a pretty heavy load of all of that. And then they're coming back to work and work wasn't what it was, right? People's jobs have changed, what their work looks like has changed. And then, okay, maybe the pandemic is over, but we're still figuring out, are we going to work remotely? Are we going to work hybrid? Like what's our office culture going to look like? And not even to mention like the really niche ways that small business owners might be experiencing that change and small businesses are having to constantly pivot in order to stay in business. And so like the employee experience is just, there's been no routine. There's been no structure, no sense of mastery of like what this new um, this new work life, what it's going to look like. And then, you know, some people might not be really working in their strengths every day right now, which is a really drain on your resilience. And so, I would say like leaders really need to make sure that they're developing skills and how they show up and support their their teams and their people. Um, and that happens really specifically just through how you communicate and how you approach high stakes high emotion situations that come up with your teams whether or not it's a really long term situation or it's like a short term kind heat of heated the moment crisis and so you know just the people centric skills is something that leaders have got to make sure that they're investing in because people centric skills having you know developing the courage to have a hard conversation And then developing the skills to have the hard conversation. Those things don't happen overnight. Like they take practice, they take reflection, they take time. Um, They take probably failing a few times in order to learn how to do it better next time. So support and courage for hard conversations and then having the hard conversations. And I like to pull out the courage for the conversation and the skill for the conversation. That's two different skills. That's two different things. That you have to learn how to navigate. So yeah, people are tired. <laughs> people are tired, and and they're trying, right? Like there's all this data out there about quiet quitting, being disengaged, but like people are trying. It's just that like burnout's real, and we can't live in a state of constant pivot, you know. And so there's the best thing that leaders can do is listen and show up for their employees in a really uh, supportive way.
1: Whitney, I don't know where to go from here because I'm like, that is so, I mean, it's simple and it's profound all at the same time. Focus Mm -hmm. on your people. But again, if we are small business owners and we are tasked with the production of whatever it is we do, plus we are doing bookkeeping and we are doing scheduling and then we are trying to do the people side of it too, like HR. You know, that's a lot of things and you're not expected to have skills and all of that. And just as you illustrated with your courage aspect, like the self-work of building the courage and then the communication strategies to institute that courageous conversation, there are so many layers that for a large part of our our listenership are small business owners. And so you can be great at what you do, Mm -hmm. but it's still going to be tough when you are Than in a leadership role as you grow your business. And maybe somebody listening, like I'm thinking through clients and conversations I've had in community organizations. And a lot of conversation right now at the time of this recording is how do we hire? How do we get people to come in and want to work here? How do we retain them? And it's not always the sexy thing to talk about, but a lot of the people I've talked to, I said, you know, I know I'm not the expert on this, but There's so much to the culture that needs to be dug into, and it's not going to be remedied with increased pay, benefits, packages. You have to get to the root of what you're talking about and making your people feel seen, heard, valued, and cared
0: about. People want to be cared about right now. And I would say for small business owners, like that's your currency right now is when you do get people in there. You know, what are the tangible actions that are showing that you care about them? Um, And I actually like, that's exactly what I talk about in some of the trainings that I offer. I offer a training called Connection at Work. And like, we talk about specific phrases that you can add that just help people feel seen, heard and valued. And so like, for example, like one thing, one shift, I want all business owners, you know, small business owners that are managing people to make is get really intentional about asking, what does support look like from me right now? And not saying, well, let me know what you need. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it's like simple shifts like that of like, being clear, direct and supportive and kind. And so I think people, I do think a lot of leaders think they're offering help. Like, I, I think they're saying, let me know, like, I'm here for you, you know, and those are all really great things, but we need to be more direct. We need to make some small shifts. And one way to be more direct is to use what questions, which is what does support look like for me right now? What do you need? Did you get what you needed out of this conversation? Like, what does help look like? What can I do to help? And that's just much more direct and that can help. And and it also puts the accountability on the employee to be like, oh, I need to reflect on that question. Because it requires a response. And so it just makes the communication between leader and employee much more clear. And then the other thing that I would really say for small business owners is like, what tangible things are you doing to make sure that your employees feel valued? And so to to be valued is like, what are you doing that they know that their presence matters and their contribution is meaningful? And so three things that um, I typically work on groups and teams and leaders with is, celebrate thank praise like those are three habits that should characterize your relationship with your employee and so make sure that you're celebrating their successes you're celebrating work milestones how long they've lived there like celebrate their birthday like these little things like you said like aren't profound but they matter and they make people feel cared about and like did you celebrate someone getting married or having a baby you know and it's just like these human elements that, employees want to be seen as humans, not just workers. And then praise is huge. And there's tons of research on the importance of recognizing talents, recognizing if someone's made a lot of progress and has worked really hard, and then just recognizing how they make a unique contribution to the team. And then I will tell you that if you write one really, or just not even write, but like share one like really meaningful gratitude, even just once per month with your employees, that's gonna make a huge difference on whether or not they stay with you. And Gallup has even found it takes a 20% pay raise to lure somebody away from a manager who engages them in that in that kind of way. And that even just one meaningful conversation per week retains your people. And like you said, these aren't profound, but you have to put on that leadership mindset. And make sure that you're creating time and space for these leadership activities.
1: And I'm going to put myself on blast here. Um, As a leader, I'm a developing leader for sure for my team, because it's been one of those experiences where I didn't necessarily, I knew what I was good at. I knew how to do the thing. And then to translate the thing to other people Mm -hmm. was tough for me. And then in order to lead the team, I know I fall short all the time. And one of the things I am calling myself on right now is I started earlier this year, what I called like the weekly good news newsletter. And every week I would say one good thing that somebody on the team did and every person on the team, I'd pull one good thing they did that week or a success or celebration. And it could be personal or professional, but I've noticed this fall, I am not as consistent. And I, there have been A couple of weeks that have gone by, and I'm like, I didn't make time for it on Tuesday, and I didn't move it to my to do list on Wednesday, so it didn't get done. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'll do it next week. But now I'm just like hearing through you too, like, this needs to be not something that gets bumped. It needs to be the first thing on my list on Tuesdays. And that needs to be the priority because even though it's a simple thing, relatively, the impact of it is casting ripples across the organization.
0: And consistency and reliability is part of building trust. And so I think when your team sees you showing up in a way that's reliable and you're consistently doing something, you know, that really, that also just built, you know, puts kind of trust in the bank, um, as well. And it's a very trust building behavior. Mm.
1: Oh my gosh. We, (laughs) we could talk forever. Um, So those who are listening right now, kind of like myself, and they're catching themselves Like, oh, shoot, there are things I know I could be doing better. There are things I'm doing that are good, but I want to really grow into this leadership role. What are some ways that you support them either through your work or through things that you could like have them do right now in this moment to make them a better leader?
0: Mm -hmm. You know, like one thing kind of going off that previous conversation is... You just need to make sure that you're making the time to be a leader because leading is different than doing. And so one thing I work on with leaders and in that five to thrive program is number one, and we use the Enneagram for this to help build language around it is like, what are your leadership strengths? Like, what are your unique talents as a leader? And then from there, what do you need to delegate? Where do you need to set boundaries and where do you need to build a support network? So that way you're, leading more than doing if that makes sense mm-hmm. like um because if we keep doing what we're doing as a doer and then add leadership responsibilities that's going to just lead to burnout and overwork and all of that and so working with yeah <laughs> you know and so really it's just like we have to take on that mindset that we're here to lead action not take action and it's mindset work Like that is mindset work. And some struggles that I see new leaders face is just like that mindset of like, you know, I was talking to a leader this last week and she was like, well, I don't want to just like dump work on somebody else. You know, she knows she needs to delegate because she has these leadership duties, but that mindset gets in the way of like, well, I don't, I don't want my employees to think that like, I'm not doing work or I'm not working hard or I'm just dumping work on them. But like that mindset is going to limit your ability to show up in your leadership strengths and serve your team with the greatest skills that you have to offer. And so it's just really important that we shift our mindset around delegating. And one way that I help leaders do that is, first of all, identify tasks that don't require your specific skill set or your position of power, right? Like there's going to be some things that we always have to do because like, This is a silly example, but like business owner, like like you're gonna have to talk to your accountant about your taxes. Like you're not gonna delegate your taxes to, you know, you can delegate that to a CPA, but you still have to do that. But there's gonna be certain things in your business that don't really require your skill set and don't really require your status as a business owner. And they're probably a really great development opportunity for someone else on your team to build their resume, to build their own skills, to learn new things. Those are the things that you want to delegate the things that don't require you and the things that would be a great development opportunity for someone else. And like to feel valued, people want to feel useful. And so if you're hoarding all these responsibilities and you're burnt out and you don't have any time, like I have a hunch that most of your team wants to feel useful and wants to help you, but there's kind of a vulnerability blind spot there. Like, oh, I can help you all. That's strength, but I can't receive help from you all because that's weakness. And so I call that a vulnerability blind spot. And we have to like learn those moments that that comes up and make sure that we're delegating things off our plate that help us serve our strengths.
1: I feel like I need to pay you for a coaching session right now because I'm like, (laughs) yeah, you can. (laughs) You're you're invited. (laughs) This is all things. Yes. And I mean, just firsthand, being someone again who went from being a solo entrepreneur to building a team and these definitely growing pains. Mm -hmm. I could so identify with your, uh, former or your client that you were working with who said, I don't want to dump work on people. I've had the Mm -hmm. same thought, but also I'm buried and then I'm bottlenecking everybody else. And then I'm not being consistent. I'm holding things up and Mm -hmm. it's definitely, there's so many layers to leadership when you become not just employed by yourself, but you begin to bring people on. And whether, and this also translates beyond business, but leadership in your community, leadership in other facets too.
0: And you know, too, Molly, I think one thing for new leaders especially that also gets in the way of delegating is that it's a skill in of (laughs) itself. Like, you know, delegation is a form of communication and it's a communication skill that takes practice and skill to learn. And so another thing that I can see is that new leaders or like small business owners, especially, especially if they take a lot of ownership, Um, you know, entrepreneurship, there's a lot of stakes there. And there's a lot of identity of like, this is my business. Like, which is a good thing. Like that's what drives the energy in the service of that business. But I think sometimes new leaders are like, well, I tried delegating, it didn't work. It's just more work to delegate. I'm not going to do it again. And, you know, but it's a skill like delegation is a communication skill. And it takes practice, and it takes learning, it takes coaching, it takes, you know, you're you're not going to say something once to your employee and they're going to understand it. Like it takes continued supportive conversation to be like, here's this task, here's what I want, need, and expect, what does support look like from me to meet this metric? And like, you're not going to have that conversation once, you're going to check in weekly on how those duties are going, and how you can train them to do the skill well, what you can do to support them and, you know, and just get really curious and coach like with them of how they're going to get that task done. So, you know, delegation is not like, okay, here you go do this. Like it does take a little skill, but the more you do it, the better you get. And then the more time you free up to like really work in your talents.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So then where does Enneagram fit into your work yeah. with your clients. Can you yeah. touch on that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. So I start the Enneagram is like the first thing that we do because it's such a shortcut to kind of understanding who the client is. And um it's just this, you know, I always tell people people get kind of hesitant about personality types sometimes, but I always say it's language not labels. Like yes. I don't I do not use the Enneagram to label you. I use it as a source of language to help you understand how you can grow your leadership and where Blind spots might be limiting your leadership. And what's cool about the Enneagram is, it it, you know, it's a personality assessment, but what makes it unique is that it shows each type how to grow and like tangible strategies to grow. And so, you know, as clients are solving a problem, we can pull from that language to help them understand the challenges they might be having in delegating, for example, the blind spots that might be affecting their mindsets as they delegate you know, a lot of leaders, like, you know, I was working with a type two leader and they're really focused on servicing other people. And so then that mindset comes up of like, well, I have to be the person helping. I can't be the person helped. And the Enneagram really just helps like put language to that. And I think it was Suzanne Stabile. She's a Enneagram author. She said that you can't change what you can't name. And so that's what the Enneagram does. And then also it, the Enneagram just gives us good language for all of the other five skills to thrive. So the, the five skills are emotional intelligence, which we use the Enneagram. We help identify our unique leadership strengths. And that is paramount for a leader is to just show up every day aligned with their strengths. The second is courage. Um, and the third is communication. The fourth is connection. And the fifth is Resilience. And so the Enneagram can help provide language that helps you build skill in all five of those. And I actually have a document for us. <laughs> it's called um, Five to Thrive by Enneagram type. And it's five self-awareness points every new leader needs in order to thrive. So we can I think we can probably just throw that in the podcast description. Um Be but that kind of shows. Well. Yeah, yeah. And so it just goes through those five skills and like how they show up for you by your Enneagram type. And another quote I love on self-awareness, it's from Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. And it's Ludwig Wittgenstein. He said, the limits of my language are the limits of my world. And so when we have limits in our self-awareness, we'll have limits in our leadership as well. So that's how the Enneagram, that's how I use it. I use it as a tool for language. And then I use it as a tool for growth in those five skills that we work on.
1: I know. Okay. So when I went to your blog and you had a blog that had a Ted Lasso theme, I was like, oh yes. man, we are going to be friends. I and love then, Ted Lasso so <laughs> much. I, I, I swear to you, I almost went and changed and put on my I Heart Roy Kent sweatshirt. But I was
0: like, where did you get that sweatshirt? Because I wanted to-
1: Um The shot forward. <laughs>
0: I like I wish there could be like a leadership development program that just has you watch Ted Lasso and like we learn the leadership lessons from Ted Lasso. Um, I think you're like, the
1: person to create it, Whitney.
0: I know because it's just like there are so many like lessons from Ted Lasso that we can pull on leadership.
1: I don't know too many people who love Ted Lasso. Um, especially in my love area, it. people are like, What? I don't watch that show. And I'm like you're
0: so missing the
1: boat. This is yeah. awesome. So I knew you, I knew we were going to vibe. And then when you called on Atlas of the Heart, I was like, okay, most people have read Dare to Lead. Um, yeah. Not many people have Atlas of the Heart on their bookshelf, but yeah. I'm like, oh, yes.
0: yes. <laughs> so, I have Atlas of the Heart on my bookshelf and I actually suggest the Audible version is great. Um. Ooh. So I've listened to it on Audible too. It's a really great, Um. it's a really great listen as much as a read.
1: And so, listeners, I know we're getting close on time, Whitney. Sorry, um, but oh, I
0: didn't even notice. Like we, can oh just- my <laughs>
1: gosh, I know. I've had so much fun. I know. Uh, I was like talking away. <laughs> are we good with like we could go a little bit? We could go a little. Oh yeah, okay.
0: totally. I'm chilling. Um,
1: yeah. And the thing I love about Atlas of the Heart, which similar to your work with the Enneagram, there are so. I think I first heard about this book on a podcast that Brené was a guest on, and mm-hmm. she talked about how. To your point about the like the limits of my language or the limits of the world, there are so many emotions and feelings out there that we just don't have vocabulary around. And so we might say that we're angry when actually we're feeling something a little bit different, but we don't know how to explain it. And Atlas of the Heart, I was just like, wow, this is this is really mind blowing and changing the world. And I think everything that you're talking about, there are so many times, regardless of especially if we're in professional services, I feel like Mm -hmm. people come to us and they have a problem or they have a need Mm -hmm. and they think their need is social media or they think their need is they need a new website. Mm -hmm. And when we start to get into the process, it's like, yeah, that might be a peripheral thing that you need, but what you need is clarity or what you need is to know yourself a little bit more. So you know what your strengths are, what you enjoy more. So we know what to talk about. And so, so much work in business entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and therefore leadership development is grounded in the self work. And I cannot stress that enough.
0: Absolutely. Self work is just, I mean, it's everything. And yeah, I I could just keep, I could keep talking about that. You know, know, and it's just like that, like you said, it's the roots. And I think sometimes we get um, really focused on the branches of something, right? When really like there, there's a root there that you need to get curious about. Um, and and that's the power of, of self-development is not just taking something at face value. You know, for example, like self-doubt, right? We talk a lot about self-doubt, but you know what? Like self-doubt actually isn't always bad. Like sometimes it just means you're pushing yourself. You're going outside your comfort zone. You're trying something new. And sometimes I see, you know, whether you're a service provider or a leader, you're just like self-doubt. I have imposter syndrome. That's it. I need to fix it. I'm like, no, like maybe, but like get more curious about what that self-doubt is. That self-doubt might drive you to learn something new. Like, and that self-doubt might be because you're really, I call it vulnerability fatigue. Like when you're constantly you know, when your challenges constantly outpace your comforts, you need self-care. You don't need a book on imposter syndrome in that case, you know, not that of course a book on imposter syndrome is always helpful. Right. But like in that case, I think you need to adjust your expectations, maybe take a day off, you know, sleep in a little and let yourself rest because new leaders, I think a challenge they face is that first six to 18 months, they're managing people for the first time. Just everything can feel hard. Like, and we just can't live in that space all the time. We need to balance our challenges and our comforts or we get, we, you get tired and you think it's self-doubt, but sometimes it's fatigue. Um, And so getting curious about the roots of things, I think is really important to solving. It's like, what problem do you really need to solve? The clarity, like you said.
1: This is so fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, I can't believe Thank the time you. has gone that fast. Yeah. I was like, I
1: know. Okay, so Whitney, we talked about Five to Thrive. I know that you've got the free available resource. People can also dig in a little bit deeper with you too. So why don't we go ahead? Can you share with us, if people are interested in working with you beyond the tool that they can access, where can they find you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The best way to find me is my website, which is WhitneySullivan.com. I'm also active on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And I think my handle there is Sullivan. Um, And so that's the best way to get a hold of me. And especially if you're interested in services, reaching out to me via email or via discovery call is also the best way to just inquire about services. And I always tell people, like, no pressure, no commitment. Like, if you're just curious and you want to book that discovery call, because I know it's important to make that human connection sometimes. And sometimes what can get in the way is, like, oh, like, you know, I'm not going to sell you. Like, we'll get to know each other, I'll answer your questions. Um, but sometimes that, that face-to-face contact or that email is the best way to just gather more information about services.
1: Mm. And the Ted Lasso, the title of that entry on your blog was be curious. Oh no, it wasn't the title of the blog, but it was the prominent quote. Yes. Be, curi- be curious, not, judgmental. not judgmental.
0: <laughs> Yes. Yes. Uh,
1: so if you're intrigued, you're feeling a little pull, but you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know, just go yep. be curious go be curious.
0: curious. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the, the kind of big workshop I'm doing is that connection at work workshop right now. And that's the one that it really dives into specific strategies that help your team feel seen, heard, and valued. And it's a really tangible training that a lot of people could benefit from in addition to, you know, the one-on-one coaching. And then I also offer, like we talked a lot about Enneagram today, I also offer Enneagram trainings for teams. Um, And I've seen that be really impactful in small businesses, especially because small business interactions can be pretty intimate, you know, because your team's not very big. Like you can't really hide. Um, And so the Enneagram can really help provide a lot of helpful information about how like the operating instructions for each person, you know, and so that's a great fit for small businesses as well.
1: Thank you so much, Whitney. But before we sign off, we always end every episode with what is called the small talk round. And I just okay. ask some random questions that have nothing to do with <laughs> your career or profession. <laughs> <laughs> yes, And I didn't send prep for this. So I know now... I was
0: like, there's no prep for this. Like, Surprise. No,
1: just kidding. <laughs> no, it won't be. No, it good. won't be too hard. So are you willing to play along for a couple yes. of questions?
0: Yes. My heart is pounding, but
1: <laughs> yes. All right. Question number one, who's your favorite character on Ted Lasso?
0: Oh, that is a hard one. I mean, I mean, probably Ted Lasso, honestly, but I I like a lot of characters for different reasons. Like, I love the development of Rebecca. Like, I love the way that she grows and changes. Um, mm-hmm. I love the development of Roy Kent as well. So I would say probably like Ted Lasso, Rebecca and Roy Kent. I'm I'm just going to take my liberties and say those three. Um oh, if but then Higgins is hilarious. Like yes. if you want to see a type 9 in action, it is Higgins and <laughs> Like you know, and he's just like moving. Uh, I don't want to. Yeah, like he's just moving his office around in season two, and like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the one where like people everything. keep coming to Christmas dinner, and they're like, okay, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And I'm just like, if I could just like have a caricature of a type nine, it would definitely be Higgins. Um, and so he really makes me laugh. So, um, hard. But if I had to pick one, I just think Ted Lasso is such an amazing role model of like, really tangible leadership abilities that. that need to embody and I love listening to Jason Sudeikis talk about that character because he was just like I don't know to me it was just obvious like he was like sincerely surprised by like the response from the show because in his mind in one of his interviews he was like I don't know I was just like painting the 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 profile of just like this nice guy from the midwest (laughs) you know but it just is like but it's not you know, it's not widespread. And so like, I just think Ted Lasso is just a really great role model for leaders.
1: (laughs) I think too, like when my husband and I started watching it, and this is one of the few shows where we sit down and we watch it together and we will not watch it without the other. And it was one of those where you, especially season one, -hmm. You just felt so good. And you're like kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop because that's just the way most entertainment Mm -hmm. is now. But you're like, this is just like, it makes me feel so good and happy. And it's so awesome. I can't recommend that show enough.
0: It's just so clever, is another thing that I love about it. Like, especially if you followed sports for a long time, that whole skit that was based off of Alan Iverson and practice like when he's yelling at Jamie Tart because it's just practice like i i had i was like i was in tears because i i knew what he was mimicking you know where he was pulling that parody basically and it's just like all throughout the show it's just it's clever it's smart it's funny it's wholesome and it's funny to say it's wholesome because there's a lot of f-words in it but like it's wholesome
1: <laughs> i love that part too <laughs> yeah
0: yeah oh my gosh the one i know, sorry we could talk about the show
1: yeah. I, I, but the one where Roy's niece goes to school and she's saying the F word to the teacher, I was like, that that had me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, when, question when, two. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: The last one, I'll say because like I've I've been learning a lot about boundaries and like focusing a lot of on boundaries with leader, like with myself and with leaders. And you know, when Phoebe's like, "Can I have ice cream for dinner?" and he's like, "No, that's stupid." And she's like, "Thanks for helping me set boundaries." <laughs> Yes. Oh, anyway, anyway.
1: <laughs> oh, I can't wait for season three. I keep like checking when the release I date's going to be. Oh. Um, Okay. Question okay. two. <laughs> when you're working at your desk, what are two things that are always
0: within arm's reach? Sticky note. Mm, good one. So that's definitely one, man. Yeah. I would just say something to write with, whether it's like, um, I am, have been a long time Evernote user, so that's always pulled up on my desktop. Um, always have a sticky note because that's how I make to-do lists. That's how I remember things. And then in the morning, definitely coffee.
1: <laughs>
0: definitely Do you have coffee. like a favorite pen that you have to have nearby? Is there
1: a, like, like, or are you somebody yes. who has like whatever pen? I like thin point pens. <laughs> Same. This yeah. is like a 0. 0.3 needle tip.
0: Yes. Yes. I don't like to have like ink gushing all over things. I like a nice fine points. And then there's nothing that feels better than like, you know, I have podcasts off my list and I just go cross it off. Like that just feels so good. So (laughs) Mm, I love that.
1: I had one more question at like the edge of my brain, but now I can't remember what it was. Oh, last question. What's your Enneagram?
0: Oh, I know. That's always a good one. I am an Enneagram four. Ooh. Yep. Yep. Enneagram four, which tends to surprise people. Um, if you know anything about the Enneagram, but what's so cool about the Enneagram is that it's your core motivation. And it's one of the few personality types that you really, you can't type based off of just talking to someone. Um, because you know, the, the reason that you take behaviors or make decisions or the reason that you think, feel, and act will be, be what drives your Enneagram type, not the thinking, feeling, or actions themselves, if that makes sense. So a, a type four is motivated to be unique and authentic and significant. Um, and that definitely is like I'm a very purpose-driven individual. And it's really important to me. Like I was saying earlier today is like showing up passion and skills and service is just the way that I'm motivated and how I get energy. And that's what makes the Enneagram so powerful is it just goes a step deeper than behavior and looks at your motivations and looks at the way that you see the world. So yep. Type four.
1: Whitney, I had so much fun with you today. This was this, so fun. This was great. I feel like I just and...
0: got warmed up too. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: And yeah. yeah, we might just have to have us part two.
0: We'll go part someday. two. Yeah. We'll have yeah. to do
1: that. Yeah. All right. Thank you so, so much, Whitney. This was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Hey friend, thank you so much for listening in to The Found Podcast. If you loved what you heard in today's episode, please head over to The Found Podcast on iTunes or Spotify and leave us a review. It means so much to know how you think about these episodes where I pour out my heart or to know what strategies you found most effective from our guest experts. While you're there, you can also check out that library of 100 plus episodes of stories of female founders and successful strategies for getting found in your business. Thank you again for being here this week, and I'll be back with even more in next week's episode.